0: Get into the word of God this morning. So I have a few people that need to come up right now. Come on up, folks. Uh, we're going to do the reading a little bit differently today. Come on up right now. Come on, Tim. Come on. Run down that aisle like you're on the Price is Right, brother. Come on, man. All right. We're going to look at the word of God together today. Spread out just a little bit, y'all. Spread, come, come, come in here. Come a little closer. All right. There we go. First of all, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Talking to y'all right here. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Come here, bro. Come here, bro. Come here. If anyone slaps you, on the right cheek. Turn to them the other cheek also. Mm, nah. <laughs> Couldn't do it. All right. Couldn't do it, bro. Rose, come right here. Rose, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. No. Nope. Not for me. All right. Ginger, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Ta loco? <laughs> Tim, brother, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from, from the one who wants to borrow from you. Sorry, man. I- Bills of my own to pay. I can't afford anything for myself. Sorry, Matt. It's too steep. Let's stand together, New Life Family. We're going to read the last few verses from Matthew chapter 5 together. Let's read them with. Gusto, verses 43 through 48. Let's read together. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Today, the message from the Word of God is the call To perfection. Call to perfection. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will work through your word and by your spirit to call your people, Lord God, to that place that you would have us to transform our lives and make us more like Jesus. Lord, use the next few minutes of this time for your glorious and good purpose among your people We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. How many people know that movie? I love that movie. Um, It's a great movie about a school that in the early 70s is integrating. A white school is integrating with a, a black school. And this is not usual in the nation until this time, but the school integrates, and it's a story of the football team actually coming together uh, in that time. And there are two main characters among the players, two of the main characters. One is Gary Bertier. He's a white player. The other is Julius Campbell. He is a black player, and they're both on the defense, and they're like, all stars, all state level players. And at the beginning of the movie, they're at each other's neck. They can't stand one another. The court, the coach is forcing them to come together. They don't want any parts of it. But what happens during the course of the movie is that they come together in this deep level of friendship and this team comes together and the community in some ways even becomes begins to come together. And this wonderful thing is happening. And the coach is stressing throughout the movie that he is calling this team to be a perfect team. And they win every game and they get to the state finals and they're playing this incredible team, T.C. Williams, with a legendary coach, Ed Henry, who's like this Hall of Fame coach. And the first half of the game goes on and the Titans can't do anything against this great team. And so at halftime, for the first time all year... Coach Herman Boone, played by Denzel Washington. I hope that's not why my wife likes this movie so much. But but at halftime, for the first time, the coach like he lets the team off the hook and says, you know what? It's all right if if, if we don't win this game. And at the end of his speech, he says these words. He says, win or lose. We're going to walk out of this stadium with our heads held high. Do your best. That's all anyone can ask for. And Then Julius Campbell just stops the coach in the middle of his speech. He says these words. No, it ain't, coach. All due respect, you demanded more of us. You demanded perfection. Now, I ain't saying that I'm perfect because I'm not. I ain't never going to be. None of us are. But we have won every single game we have played till now. So this team is perfect. We stepped out on that field that way tonight. And if it's all the same to you, Coach Boone, that's how we want to leave it. Somebody have a tissue right now? I just need a moment. Thank you, Boone. Thank you, bro. Julius Campbell got it. The Titans got it. The coach had called them to perfection. But do you know today that Jesus Christ is calling you to perfection? Are you perfect? Of course not. But as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to be progressively more and more and more like Jesus. Listen, brothers and sisters, we are not called as Christians just to become people who look at the laws in the Bible and say, well, if I'm doing this, that's not sin, is it? How close can I get to sin and it not be sin and I can live my life that way? God is calling us to something so much greater than that. God is calling us to the ethics of the kingdom of God. That's this whole passage we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 5. God is calling us by the new lawgiver, the perfect lawgiver, the final lawgiver, Jesus Christ. So he goes into today's text and he begins by looking at the Old Testament. This is the fifth time now that Jesus has said these words. You've heard that it was said. And he goes in verse 38 to say eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That is a law in the Old Testament that's that's done at least three different times. It's called the Lex Talionis. That's a fancy Latin name for the law of retaliation. And it's repeated three times in the Old Testament: Leviticus 24:20. Adds before eye for eye, tooth for tooth, it says fracture for fracture. In other words, you break my leg, your leg gonna get broke. In Deuteronomy 19, it gets a little more tough even than that. He said it reads, Do not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The law was given to God's people in the context of the ancient Near East for a very specific reason. It was given in their judicial system so that there would be equity, fairness, and justice. Because believe it or not, in that day, many times justice was meted out according to a person's position, according to their statue. uh, Status according to their wealth. So one person would be treated differently than another person because of the amount of money they had, because of their status. And that was going on. And God's law was simply to say, we turn a blind eye to all of those things. Let justice be done in such a way that it's the same for every person. It doesn't change. That was the beauty of this Old Testament law. It says you're not going to discriminate against someone who's a refugee. You're not going to discriminate against someone who's poor. You're not going to discriminate against someone who's without a home or without a family. They get the same justice that the king does. Everyone's treated the same way. That was the beauty of the law that God gave his people in the Old Testament. Obviously, we still got some issues with that in our day and age, don't we? We got a lot of issues with that. And as Christians, we should desire to see equity being done in our judicial system. But listen, that's not what Jesus is talking about in these verses. He's not talking about the judicial system itself. He's talking about the kingdom code of personal ethics. So I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them, this is about the kingdom code. Tell someone, this is about the kingdom code. This is about how you govern your personal relationships. What was going on was people were taking this law eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And they were applying it in their personal lives in such a way that I can now become judge, jury, and executioner of my my friend, my neighbor, my co-worker, whoever it is. I can mete out their punishment. It was never meant for that, and yet people took it that way. And what Jesus is saying in these verses totally turns that around. It turns it on its head. The ethic Of the kingdom, as we'll see today, is love and care for others. We'll see in these verses, even those who strongly oppose you. The kingdom ethic is a radical love for others. So I want to look at these verses in some detail. Starting verses 38 through 42, the first Major point here is this, a radical refusal to resist. Jesus calls us to have a radical refusal to resist. So we already talked about the beginning of this. You've heard it said eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. Um, so this is what was given on the law uh, to to talk about judicial contact conduct. But Jesus says, but I tell you. Do not resist an evil person. Now what he does is he goes into four examples of what it means not to resist. My crew up here earlier didn't like those examples so well. Maybe none of us do in some ways, but let's talk about what they are. The first one is slapping. That means an enduring insult or disrespect. Listen. People in Philadelphia every day lose their lives because someone's been disrespected. That happens. It's the code of the street. You can't get away with that. And it may be the code of the street for young people. But listen, I've been in corporate settings. I've been in church settings. I've been in all kinds of settings. And although we may do it a different way, it's the code of this world in all kinds of places. How dare you disrespect me? And so Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let them turn to them the other also. Pastor Tim, can you come up here for a second? We just want to demonstrate something for (laughs) y'all. Come on, bro. So we want to look specifically what the Bible is saying here. It says if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. Turn to them. The other wait. Hang on, bro. I gotta. I gotta brace myself. I gotta be ready. So, I want you to slap me on the right cheek. Come on. A, you have permission. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Pass it right. ten. You ready? Yeah. Oh. You want another one? No. I do need to announce that there'll be a short meeting of the elders afterwards <laughs> on a church discipline issue here at the church. Notice what Pastor Tim did. He gave me the backhand slap, right? Because when the scripture talks about they slap you on the right cheek, there's this assumption we're talking right-handed, you're facing me, and so it's a backhanded slap. In the ancient Near East and among the Jews, there was a penalty if you slap someone across the face and there, and there was a fine associated with it. But if you backslapped them, that was worse. It was a double penalty because what that says is it, it, it heightens the disrespect going on when you backslap someone. So what this scripture is about, it's not so much about putting your life in danger, someone coming and, and trying to do harm to you physically, but it's about insult. It is about someone disrespecting you. and Jesus calling us, To a whole different way of living. Jesus lives out this ethic. Matthew 26, 67 says, they spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy for us, Messiah, who hit you? Jesus went through all of this. He doesn't defend himself. We're not talking here, let's be clear, about a life-threatening thing or something that's going to do you great physical harm. Protect yourself. But what he's saying is, when these insults come, when the disrespect comes, don't act or react the way the world does. Verse 5 of Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the meek. We talked about that term as gentle humility. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. A disciple is able not to retaliate because their identity is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. I can live without your respect because I know who I am in Jesus. The second example of this is suing. Verse 40 says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Suing, that would cause me material lack. Now, the verse implies that you're either in court already or you're on your way to court. It also implies that what is happening here is unjust because... Before this verse, it says, if an evil person, don't resist an evil person. So there's an injustice being done. Someone wants to take you to court and they want to take your shirt. And what Jesus says is give them your coat as well. The shirt was valuable, but the coat was much more valuable. In fact, in. This time in Greco-Roman culture, that outer garment or coat could also be what was the primary thing used when you slept to to keep you warm. So this is a big deal. One commentator says it this way, what the opponent could not have dared to claim. The disciple is to offer freely, even at the cost of leaving himself with nothing to keep them warm. So you have, again, this radical ethic. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 7. He says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been defeated already. He says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? I wonder for how many of you, you hear those words and say, yeah, I want to be wronged. Yeah, cheat me. I'm good with that. Nothing in our flesh says amen. But Jesus is saying here, we're not going to resist. How can we do that? Look at verse 10 of Matthew 5. Again, back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A disciple can give up their provision and not resist because they know that their provision is is not a material thing. My provision is in Jesus Christ. My God is Jehovah Jireh. My stuff, I I don't need this stuff in, in such a way that I can't freely give it away. God is my provider. Suing and material lack, but we are able to deal with that. The third one is what's called impressment or state-sanctioned intimidation. This was common in the Roman Empire. A soldier could come to a citizen, and they would particularly do this with those who weren't Roman citizens, but they were in the countries and among the peoples that were subjugated by Rome. They were under their boot. And a soldier could come and say, I want you to take my stuff, my heavy equipment, and I need you to to walk with me for a mile, you carry my stuff. And this was done not just as a way for the soldiers to get a break from their heavy load, but to impress on the people and to intimidate the people and to let them know that you are under me. You can imagine that among those peoples, among them, the Jewish people, this was a very difficult pill to swallow. We're a proud people. We know the Lord. We are a chosen people. And yet, this man can come along and treat me like I'm his slave. Jesus says that if he impresses you to walk with him one mile, I tell you, walk two. Matthew chapter 5, again, verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. for They'll be called the children of God. This is where the rubber hits the road. A disciple's able and willing to give up their rights because they know that their position is not what the government, not what the culture, or not what the society says, but my position is secure in Christ. So whether or not that that's recognized by others, I know who I am. And I can serve this soldier willingly. I can serve this soldier beyond what he asks me to. Because I know who I am. I know what my position is in Christ. The last one is begging. Verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If you live in Philadelphia, you can't get around this for very long. You can't. This is willingly giving up whatever you're able at the cost of your own discomfort. Jesus says it another way in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6 and verse 30. He says, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. I don't know about you, but that's even more radical, isn't it? Are you kidding me? Deuteronomy fifteen seven is the background for this. And in Deuteronomy fifteen seven and eight, the scripture says these words If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard hearted or tight fisted toward them, rather be open handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Now Jesus is demanding even something more here. Deuteronomy says, do that with your fellow Israelite. Do that with your neighbor, with your friend. We'll talk about this more. But Jesus is widening that. He says, anyone, anyone, anyone. This is the character trait of being merciful. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful. They will be shown mercy. How can we do that? The ability to live a life of generous mercy is knowing that my security is not in financial provision, but in Jesus Christ. It's knowing that I own absolutely nothing, but that everything that I have comes from his good, his gracious, and his generous hand. And so as we look at all of these things in the first century Roman or Jewish culture, the question is, what would this mean today? These are radical things. People aren't ready to hear this. They're certainly not ready to do it. But Jesus calls his disciples out and he calls them to a brand new way of life. In every instance, the reaction of the disciples would be, what are you talking about? How can this be? I'll put it this way. It's a hashtag. What just happened moment? Are you kidding me, Jesus? What are you talking about? Are you really calling me to this kind of life? How can that be? And he is. The natural human tendency is to put ourselves and our interests first. And Jesus is calling us to a different ethic of what love really means, how love really works itself out. Jesus is calling his disciples to live it out as he does to maximize not their own glory, but the blessing of others in their lives. But since Jesus is my identity, Jesus is my provision, Jesus is my provision and Jesus is my security. I am able to do this living with a radical refusal to resist becomes a constant evite to the world of unbelievers around us to see the beauty and the glory that's in Jesus Christ. It is a jarring way for the culture to see, for people to see that our God lives and our God loves. So let's talk about just a few practical ways that, that can work itself out today. Number one, not taking what you could rightly claim. In other words, willingly laying aside your rights in order to bless someone else. See, instead of having the mindset. How can I maximize all my blessings and benefits in my time in this world? It is an other-centered mindset. Here's the question. Am I a user of people for my glory and for my grandeur, or am I a blesser, one who's able to give and bless others? Number two, planning robust giving and charity as an integral part Of my life. Brothers and sisters, I hope you get this. This is the Christian life. we If someone is a stingy disciple, I can tell you right up front, they are not a mature disciple. Doesn't go together that way. Disciples who mature in Jesus Christ are not looking to how much they can gather for themselves, for their own personality personal reasons, but looking at ways to bless others, to give to others. A stingy disciple is an oxymoron. we disciples of Jesus. We are by nature givers. Thirdly, these are all hard, but this was rough. Not retaliating under personal attack or character assassination. I don't know about y'all, but this is rough for me. It's refusing when someone is assassinating your character to go get the dirt on your enemy and expose them. You want to do that? Okay. Two people can play that game. Matter of fact, I'm good at it. The question, and this is not the Michael Jackson question, but the question is am I a fighter or a lover? Now, we all have to fight at times. We've talked about that. Ephesians chapter 6, there is a, a fighting. There is a fight of the Christian life. But this is talking about in these personal interactions, am I able to, to love instead of fight? We're going to talk in a little while about how we live this stuff out. But this is what we're called to. A radical refusal to resist. Now, the second part of the scripture here, verses 43 through 47, are... A dedicated disposition to love. It's the conclusion of this whole section in Matthew 5 on kingdom ethics. There's two parts to that. Let's look at it. First of all, under a dedicated disposition to love, there's a heavenly call to love. Verses 43 through 45. Let me read those again for you. You've you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, that your children, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. There is this heavenly call to Love. The idea of love your neighbor comes directly from Leviticus 19, 18, where it says love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the Old Testament never has a command to hate your enemy. But the way it was often understood, even among God's people, was this call to love my neighbor, let me off the hook with everybody else. If you're not like me, if you're not in my tribe, if you're not in my clan, if you're not in my family, if you're not among my people, if you're an outsider, I don't have to love you. As a matter of fact, love my neighbor, but I can hate my enemy. Jesus blows that out of the water. He does that in Luke 10, famously in the parable of The Good Samaritan, and most of us are aware of that parable. But the question that was on the minds of the Jews was, who is my neighbor? That's a question to say, if I can exclude some people, then I'm not called to love them or care for them. And what Jesus is teaching here is you are called to love and to care for everyone. You can't make a decision on who fits the bill and who doesn't. The the climax of kingdom ethics is right in these verses. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's beyond us as human beings. We might ask, well, how can we do this? Jesus doesn't answer that right in these verses. But he does answer another question. Why should we do this? Look at verse 45 again. Verse 45 He says, that or in order that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Why should we love our enemies? Why should we care for those who persecute us? Why? Because that's what your heavenly Father does. Are you a child of your Father? You do what your daddy does. It goes on to say, he causes the Son... To rise on the evil and the good. It says that he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God gives good gifts to everyone regardless of what they earn. Now here's the dirty little secret. When he talks about the righteous and when he talks about the good, the dirty little secret is that nobody fits that bill unless it is the grace of God that fits it for them. So no one can claim, well, I'm the righteous, and so it's right that he causes a uh, blessing to come on me. It's right that he does that, or I am the good, so it's right that he would send rain. The reason that anyone can fit that description at all is because of the amazing grace of God. Left to ourselves, we are all a mess. And left to ourselves, we're not even a mess in process. There is no process, just more mess. But I love what the scripture says in Ephesians 2 and verses 4 and 5. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had for us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ today, he's calling you to a radical love based on his own radical love for his people. The second and last part of this is this under this dedicated disposition to love is a revolutionary transformation of earthly ethics. Look at verses 46 and 47. If you love those who love you. What reward will you get? He says, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? In other words, what, what, what he's saying is that the tax collectors, people who are traitors to their own people in this context, even they know how to care for those who are close to them, their own family. They do that. Pagans. Who don't know God from a hole in the wall. They don't know nothing about God. But they know how to care for their own people. What reward is in that? But this is the beautiful promise. He says there's a reward in living out this kind of love. There's a reward. God's call is to a brand new value system modeled on God himself. And that call is this love everyone. Love friends, love neighbors, love persecutors, love haters, love supporters and detractors, love encouragers, love opposers. Jesus calls us to love everyone, period. That's where the reward is. Now, I've said it before. I don't know if this is hard for anyone else. Y'all look like y'all pretty holy folk here today. But I'm going to tell you, let me confess, this is hard for me. It's real hard. But here's a beautiful thing I'm finding out. This is never going to come naturally in my life. But I don't have to live according to what comes naturally. We have a supernatural, all-powerful, almighty God. And when we look to that God, he empowers us to live out his will, and his ethic in this world. So I want to turn, everyone turn for a moment with me to Ephesians chapter 2. So I want to look at three ways that can help us to actually live this out. The first is this, from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and that is remember where you came from. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you lived according when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who's at work among those who are disobedient. And he says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We were all in the same bucket, dead, separated from God under the curse, but God came and rescued us. Remember where you came from. Don't think that you are anything apart from the power and the grace of God. Remember where you came from. You were never the bomb.com. You just weren't. Number two, remember who you owe. I want to read that verse again, verse 4 and 5 in this same chapter. But because... Of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. Remember who you owe. You owe everything to God. You're nothing of yourself. You owe him everything. And lastly, remember what He has called you to. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 10. He says, in the conclusion of this section, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Another translation says, for we are His workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. In other words, we are the specific creation of God that was created by Him to do something for Him, to mirror His character. We are God's poetry in action to live out His character in this world. He has crafted you for a purpose, and that is to make you a blessing in His world. Remember what He's called you to. You're handcrafted to bring God glory in your life. The very last verse here In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. I beg you, as you look at this verse, don't look at this as a burden that God is somehow putting on you. Jesus said, the Pharisees put a heavy yoke on you. They don't even do what they're telling you to do. They put on a heavy yoke, but he says in Matthew 11, but my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is not a yoke from God around your neck to pull you down. This is a call from a loving God to empower you day by day to live like a believer in Christ. So let me just say this. As we get ready to conclude here, the scriptures are telling us, Christians, disciples, you hear that word from me over and over again on purpose, that if you live pretty much like the rest of the world lives, you are missing the mark. If your life is pretty much like it was before you believed, you're just maybe a little bit nicer, and you know some Bible verses, you've missed it. This is radically different. First Peter 2 puts it this way, starting at verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is what I want you to pay attention to here. Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That last verse, sojourners and exiles, the New American Standard puts it this way. Aliens and strangers New Living Translation says temporary residents and foreigners. Listen, believers in Jesus Christ, disciples in Christ. This world is not what we owe allegiance to. It is to our God. And as such, we are different. We are distinguished. We are set apart. The word holy means to be set apart. We are set apart for God's purpose. To be a people who proclaim his excellencies, not just with our lips, but with our lives. God's calling you to perfection. He's calling me to perfection. Nothing less. In the movie, remember the Titans, Julius' halftime speech inspired them, and then the other coaches talked, and they won this championship game against all the odds. The call went out, and the team responded to that call. In just a few moments, we're going to have communion. We can get ready and prepare for communion in just a moment. But as we do that, I want you to consider God's call on your own life. Listen, a football team won a championship game. That's great. see a whole lot of Eagles shirts out here today, hoping they can win a game today. But the reality is what, what is critical is God is calling us to a life that is different that is distinct and that has a powerful impact for the name of Jesus. So as we take the elements as we eat and drink today of the Lord's body and blood, we want to remember what God is calling us to today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you and I bless you for your good word that we receive from the Bible and what Matthew has written, what Jesus has said. I pray, Lord God, that you will continue to do your work powerfully in and through your people to the praise and to the glory of your great name. Have your way and be exalted in these things, we pray in Jesus name.